0: We live in a world of hype. It doesn't matter what the product is. It doesn't matter what the the cause is, whether it be a politician or a product. There is a lot of hype. And most of you above a certain age would probably not understand what a hashtag is. But a hashtag is basically something that you use on social media. It is the the pound symbol uh, that you might see on your phone or on a keyboard and And you put that pound symbol there, and then you put, with no spaces between the words, whatever your hashtag is. And so what happens is, is that if enough people put a tweet or a post with that hashtag in it, it does something called trending. And so if enough people take that hashtag and trend it, it will be popular and everybody will see it. That's the way you get heard today. You don't get heard by hard work. You don't get heard by uh, by good, sound theological uh, doctrine. sometimes. Sometimes it's just as simple as a hashtag. Because that's what our world is looking for. It's looking for a quick bite. It's wanting to know the truth of God in 140 characters or less. There's so many things that are being hyped. So many things that when you... See a commercial. It's telling you if you buy this, your life will be changed. You can have better skin. You can have... uh Donna and I, our favorite commercial right now is when we're on the radio, out of the car, on the radio, and it goes, Do you feel fat? You might be bloated. And I'm like, Oh, alright, Donna, we're not fat, we're just bloated. And then it goes into telling us uh, how how awful our health could be and if you take this one pill or this one program uh that you will be you will be better. So um it's just amazing those things that that catch your your eye and, and, and trust me the the bloated commercial was not on my notes here. But uh, but there is so much hype around events. And are you are you with me here folks? Uh one of the best best things to happen in a long time happened this week. I believe it was Thursday night or Friday night, uh, we had our first Panthers preseason game. Football is here. Uh, y'all don't care. <laughs> High school jamborees have played. Fans tuning up. The mascots are suiting up. The cheerleaders are prepping up. And we are getting ready to go into football season. I cannot be more excited because there is a lot of hype around that. But... The thing is, is that I hear so many organizations and even preachers say, come to this service. We'll go. We'll take you to the next level. You ever heard the next level? Hey, come to this prayer town. We're going to pray to the next level. Or, or if you take this product, you will go to the next level. And it seems like these people always say that whatever they do is going to take you to the next level. Until finally you realize that there is no next level. That it's just hype. And sometimes our balloons will get so big and then reality will come along and will pop that hype. Will it ever stop? No. Because we can never have enough. We're always looking for that one thing that we can improve with. We always want more and we'll do whatever we can to get it. But what do you want more of today? I mean, it, it could, if we were to poll you, um, because we're all about polls these days, right? But if we were to poll you and say, what do you want more of? Um, I imagine a lot of people would probably say money, okay, or, or health or happiness or or all these different things. But have you ever wanted to increase your faith? Have you ever felt like that your faith just wasn't enough? That you've got this big hill to climb in your spiritual life and you don't know if your faith has enough power to push you over the edge. Well, the disciples wanted to get more faith because with every rotation of our world, because you realize our our world is on an axis and it's turning, that's why we have gravity. If it didn't turn, we'd all be floating everywhere, okay? So with, with every turn of the world, we get older, minute by minute. And pretty soon... It'll be over. But anyone who claims to be allegiant to Jesus Christ, anyone who claims Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord should be looking for ways to increase their faith, to get more faith. And so this morning we listen to Jesus as he teaches us what it means to have faith. And how we can increase it. Folks, we are going in to God's gym today to work out. We're not working out our muscles, but we are working out our faith. And Jesus is using this opportunity to teach his disciples and us what it means to increase our faith. We are in the Gospel of Luke chapter 17. Let's read verses 1 through 5 as we see Jesus issues a command and a warning. Where well, Jesus issues a warning and a command, both all at once. He says in verse 1, He said to the disciples, Offenses will certainly come, but woe to the one they come through. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck. A millstone would be a large concrete block. It would be better if a millstone were to be hung around his neck, and he were to be thrown into the sea, than for him to cause one of these little ones to stumble. Be on your guard. If your brother sins, rebuke him. There's a good Baptist word. Rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times a day, and comes back to you seven times saying, I repent. Mm. Did he really say this? Even if he comes back to you seven times and repents, he says, you must forgive him. Oh, come on, preach! What does that have to do with faith? I don't know. Jesus is teaching it because what had just happened is uh, he had just preached a parable on the rich man and Lazarus and entering the kingdom. And before that, the the Pharisees and the scribes were really looking down upon Jesus and his disciples, and and so Jesus is basically teaching his disciples how to handle resistance, how to handle people that offend them. And he tells them to forgive. The first thing we see in this passage is that Jesus tells us to take our faith seriously. Let me ask you something. What sermon does your life preach to those who come into contact with you? What sermon does your life preach to those who come into contact with you? Because I heard this once, and I truly believe it, that you may be the only sermon or the only Jesus that some people see because there are some people that will refuse to go into church, but they will go to their jobs. They will go to their places of entertainment. They will go to their social clubs. They will go to the store. And what are they going to run into? Do you think God could use your life to impact someone for the gospel simply by the way you live. When that poor girl behind the drive-thru is not getting your order right at all. Are you going to be the one to go in there and throw a fit? Or that waiter that waitress is having a bad day and then you're mad because you didn't get a living in your teeth. Or even worse, the Christians that sit at a Sunday dinner table and complain about how everything is open on Sundays and back in the day nothing was open while they're eating on a Sunday in a restaurant, leaving the bigger mess than most of the people that didn't go to church. Folks, we've got to be careful what we say. We've got to make sure that I'm not preaching against going out to eat on Sunday because, praise God, I hope I can go somewhere after this. But I'm going to be nice to that server. I'm going to tip that server, probably even a little more than normal, because it's a Sunday and they don't want to be working anyway. And I'm going to make sure that they know that when I leave, that that was a Christian that was nice to me, that was a good tipper, and hopefully they've seen Jesus in the way I act. It's not because I'm a preacher, folks, it's because I'm a Christian. And you should be the same way. But have you ever stopped to think about the fact that you are the greatest example of faith your friends, your family, and your world will ever see. Verses 1 through 2 plainly tell us that God will hold us accountable for the life of faith we live out before before us, before others. And here's let me bottom line it for you. The world is not always about you. It's not. Jesus is telling the disciples here, it's not about you. It's about me. I'm a preacher. What about this? What about this? You don't understand what I've been through. I don't understand what you've been through. You don't understand what I've been through. But I know what Jesus has gone through. And I know it's far more than what you could ever imagine going through. And sometimes we get so focused on ourselves that we lose sight of what we're really here. And Jesus is warning us. He says, your world is not about you, but it's about him. It's about knowing Jesus and making him known. What is the greatest commandment, folks? It's not a rocket scientist question. You can answer it very simply. Love God and love others. If you can say that, you have summed up the Bible. Love God and love others. And he talks in here about little ones. He says, don't cause the little ones to stumble. Now, when he says little ones, he's not only literally talking about children here, But he's talking about those that are young in their faith. He's talking about those that in vacation Bible school 20 years ago, when they were a child, they prayed to receive Christ and nobody discipled them. And they wonder why they're floundering in their faith. It's talking about that person that prayed to receive Jesus Christ after a movie or a television commercial, but refused to go to a church. It's about these people that are are committed in their faith, but they're just not there. Will your life bring them closer to him? Or will it scatter them away? There was a little boy. He was fighting with his friends in the backyard. Because, you know, friends are friends. But sometimes school-age school friends, they can get mad at each other and fight. So, so they were fighting. And all of a sudden, the mother looks out the kitchen window and sees that. So the mother runs outside and breaks up the fight. She gets her child, brings the child inside, gets him calmed down. And she... Took the moment to say, little Johnny, I heard some words that were not very nice coming out of your mouth when you were fighting that boy. Where did you hear those words? And the boy said, from you and daddy. Mmm. Mmm. What kind of example are we living for Jesus Christ? When when, When bad things happen, did they learn it from you? Did they learn it from me? Folks, our life is not about ourselves. Jesus says when we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord, we lose our life. That we take up His cross every Sunday and follow Him, right? No, that we take up His cross daily, 24-7, and follow Him. He says in verse 3, to be on your guard. That if you love God and you love your brother and sister in Christ... You will call them on your failures as a witness in love. And that that word I told talked to you about a minute ago, that baddest word, rebuke. That's just an awful sounding word. I don't even like saying it. Rebuke. But let me explain to you what that means. That means, you ever heard that saying, well, if your friend jumped into a fire, would you follow him? You ever say that? Well, yeah, most of the time we would. Let me ask you this. If you saw your friend getting ready to jump in the fire, would you stop them? Would you love them enough to say, hey, think about this. You're going to get burned. You're going to die. Do you love them enough to confront them? Listen, I'll go ahead and tell you. As a preacher, I've, I tell this to people and I try to live it. And we all say, oh, yes, we want accountability. I've got an accountability partner. And we, we meet together. Once a month, and we have coffee, and we talk about things, which is gossip. Then we read a Bible verse. Then we pray. And then we go home. It it is just a wonderful time to get Folks, that is not accountability. That's far from it. Accountability is when you see someone you love and you trust about to fall off the ledge spiritually, you say, Stop. What you're doing is wrong. And of course you know what they're going to say. Who do you think you are to come to me and tell me what's going wrong when I see the way you live at home? And So what we do, I'm not going to confront them because I don't want them to pull out my skeletons in the closet. Folks, rebuke is all about the way you approach them. If you approach someone... To correct their behavior, it better be biblically based. That way you can take it to the scripture and say, look, brother, I'm telling you, this is what the scripture says. What does it say to you? They say, oh, well, yeah, that, that makes sense. And then you say, brother, I love you and I, I'm not judging you. I'm just telling you, this is what the Bible says. And I love you and I'm concerned for you. And, and I want you to change your ways. That is the biblical form of rebuking. It is in all about how you approach them. Don't go to someone as you are higher and mightier than them. Go to them as a beggar who has found bread and is showing them where they can get the same bread. Because if you truly love your family, you will rebuke them. If you truly love your friends, you will rebuke them. In our church, if you truly love your church members, if there is a church member out of line, you will rebuke them. In love and in Scripture. It's all about the approach. So be on your guard. I remember... Uh, when we were we did a, a low ropes course with a group one time low and a low rope it was about this far off the ground so it's not like anybody would get hurt really bad if they fell off and so there was like about eight people and there was like two trees you had to get everybody on the line and go from one side to the other side but there was no guide wires you probably know what that's called didn't what was it called Nathan low rope course okay whatever Anyway, so you had about seven or eight kids, and there was this one kid on the line, and he was freaking out. And he was, whoa, whoa, whoa. And and, I mean, everybody on the line is just, you know, stop it, stop it, stop it. Because they were about to all fall off and have to start all over again. They calmed him down. They said, dude, chill. Calm down. We got you. They got him calmed down. They crossed the rope because one person was way out of line. They were out of the element, and they were messing it up for everybody else. They lovingly rebuked him, and they said, if you make us start over, we're going to kill you. (laughs) One person messed it up for the whole group, but they worked together to calm him down, and they made it across. That's a loving rebuke. Verse 4 says forgiveness. Folks, forgiveness is not for you to expect or to receive. You realize forgiveness is not about you. It's about the other person. Forgiveness is not for you to expect or receive. It is for you to extend to others. Jesus knew that we cannot correct someone if we are not willing to forgive them. Jesus could have never died on the cross for your sin if he didn't forgive you for the offenses that you have made against him called sin. You are a recipient of God's forgiveness. You did not earn it. You did nothing to deserve it. It is a gift. And why did he give it to you? Because he loves you. The disciples did not understand how they could forgive someone seven times a day. Now, some of you are probably counting. Well, it's been this. How many days has it been since I've forgiven a person? The The object of the lesson was not how many days can you go? Basically, Jesus was saying you always need to offer forgiveness. So that whole Subject brought up the question, the reason we're studying this passage today. The disciples said, you want us to do what? You want us to live a life that gathers people to you. You want us to correct people that are out of line. And you want us to forgive people that are hurting us? <laughs> You're going to have to increase our faith. Kind of like I don't get paid enough to do that. You want to give me some more money. They thought, Jesus, it is impossible for me to do that, increase our faith. And that's the question that we ask today. If God is asking you to do something that is impossible, which is basically live in these days as a Christian. If God is asking you and you're saying, I just don't have enough faith to do that. Well, let's see. what In verses Six. Of of chapter 17. It says this. If you have faith the size of a mustard seed, the Lord said, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea and it will obey you. What we learn here is that God will give you all the faith you ever need. At the time of conversion, when you signed on the line and you said, Jesus, come into my life, you've got all of the faith you will ever need your entire life. It's kind of like the store. You've got the one product on the shelf, but the warehouse is full of it. Your warehouse is full of faith because it's provided by God. If you don't believe me, take a moment and, and turn to Second Peter if you uh, just want to read it off the screen, and you can, you could do that. But I want you to write down or make a note of Second Peter, chapter, two, chapter one, verse three. And this basically tells us that all the faith we ever need was given to us at the time of conversion. It says His divine power has given us most of everything required for life. Right? No, everything. Everything's a big word, isn't it? Everything. His divine power has given us everything required for life and goodness through the knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. You ever heard of John D. Rockefeller? He was an oil baron uh, back in the day, and he's got, uh, his family is very, very rich, and uh, a lot of buildings in New York are named after him. I mean, he's just a legacy. I mean, money, money coming out their ears. Lots of money. Big money family. Did you know that he had a daughter that was consumed with the fear of dying penniless and homeless? I, I can't imagine that. Still to this day, they have more money than they know what to do with. But yet, there was one child that, that could not live her life. Fully because she was worried about something that wasn't going to happen. She worried that she wouldn't have enough money. Folks, quit worrying that you won't have enough faith. Your bank is full. And God made the deposit. The issue is not faith. You've got it in spades. It's full and overflowing God's resources I love this word are inexhaustible if you try to find the bottom of the well you will not find it why should we worry that God is not enough why should we worry that God will not provide because folks a lack of trust in God if, if we do not trust God and think that our faith is not strong enough it is because we are putting our our trust in ourselves rather than god every christian has thought at one point or another i don't know how i can do this everybody's been there god that's a pretty big step i don't know if i can do that lord just give me the faith to do it jesus do you notice how did jesus answer their question the thing is, is he doesn't really directly answer it. And we're going to read uh, that answer in just a second. But Jesus does not directly answer them on how to increase their faith. We want to say, okay, give me four steps. Give me a program for nine ninety nine, and show me how I can impre- increase my faith. He doesn't tell them that, but he says a mustard seed, something that is so tiny as a mustard seed can uproot a tree. Folks, your faith today, no matter how small or big you think it is, I promise you, it is bigger than that thing that is in front of you. Let's read Jesus' answer in verses 7 through 10. He says, Your increase, you will increase your faith when you put it into action. I'm going to go ahead and tell you, when I read this for me, it stung a little bit. You know, they say preacher stepping on toes, mine were smashed all up. Because he says, Which one of you, slave tending, sheep or plowing, will say to him when he comes home from the field, Come at once, sit down to eat? Instead, he will not tell him, Prepare something for me, eat and get ready, and serve me while I eat and drink. Later, you can eat and drink. Does he thank the slaves because he did what was commanded? In the same way, when you have done all that you were commanded, you should say, we are good-for-nothing slaves. We've only done our duty. If your job is to screw lug nuts on to a wheel on an assembly line, you don't expect at the end of the day to go, hey, I, I screwed those lug nuts on those wheels. Aren't you proud of me? No. You did what we paid you to do. And Jesus is kind of giving them an a indirect but blunt answer. We see that faith is completely trusting God. God will not allow you or call you to do something that he has not given you the faith to do. Kind of like the old preacher used to say, if God has called you to it, God will see you through it. But when you have to take on these big things in your lives, when you have to go that next step to wherever God is calling you, it's going to take baby steps. We ought to be doing what we know we should be doing. The increase of our faith to do greater things will come when we take the baby steps. I remember in middle school, um, I was deeply hurt by something that happened. When I look back on it today, it's kind of silly. But in in that moment for a middle schooler, uh, I was devastated. And uh, I had gotten to the, the lowest point of my life. I felt like the, I had nobody, no friends, no family, no nothing. It was a very dark, depressing time in my life. And if I, I can say that in one of several times in my life, I saw the bottom, it was tough. And I had been done wrong. I had uh, some friends that turned their backs on me, stabbed me in the back, and uh, it, it was tough. But you know what? The bottom was solid. You know what I did? I didn't have a great revelation and go back to school and preach to all of them. It took me months. It took me almost a year to dig out of that hole. But you know what? God was digging right with me. And at one point, I was able to say to those guys, I forgive you. I moved on, began to play music in the church. God restored our friendship because I offered forgiveness. I am here today, I believe, because I offered forgiveness. If not, I would have never set foot in a church again. And you know what's crazy about that? That experience taught me to forgive in other situations that were even worse. That baby step as a middle schooler of forgiveness taught me How to do it later on in life. And so you think that you can't make it through this. Okay, I'll tell you what. You can't. It's impossible. In your own strength, you are bankrupt. But if you just take a baby step of faith, a baby step of action, like a muscle, you will increase your faith by using it. Folks, if you want to kill your faith today... If you want to just shoot, just sabotage yourself and shoot your faith today, when God calls you to do something, tell him no. Oh, we wouldn't do that, preacher. We don't tell God no, you just don't do that. Okay, you may not tell him no, but you might reason yourself out of it. Well, I just can't do that. I I don't have enough time for that. I I'm too old for that. I'm I'm too young for that. I'm too whatever. And you know what that is? That's telling God no. Who are you to tell God what he can and cannot do in your life? You can't do that. And I've even been guilty before saying, God, there's no way you want me to do that. He's like, yeah, I do. And then it just took a single step. If you want to kill your faith, tell God, no, or offer excuses or try to explain away the fact that you will not be obedient to him. And last but least, you're. Increasing your faith is an act of worship. It's a very popular passage in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. It says this, it says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. So, Do you see now how you can increase your faith? If you haven't caught what Jesus is throwing down here, let me me spell it out for you and make it really simple. The problem in increasing your faith is not the lack of faith, but is our lack of action. (laughs) You've got all the faith you'll ever need. you just got to use it. Most of the failures in our lives are not due to a lack of faith, but due to a lack of action. Folks, it doesn't take much faith to live for Jesus. What matters is the action we put behind it. If you need more faith today, I guarantee you, God will supply it. I guarantee you, if, if you've been watching the Olympics, uh, I, I'm amazed at these guys that can get on a a diving platform that's 10 stories high and dive off of that thing and and land into the water and not even make a splash. I'd probably have a tidal wave if I did it. If they they graded uh, cannonballs for the Olympics, I could be a champ. But you know what? At some point, that diver had to look 10 stories down, and at some point, he had to jump. What are you looking at today and afraid to jump out for? What's holding you back? What is the one action you need to take to increase your faith? Because I'm telling you, even if it's a mustard seed of faith, you've got what you need to do whatever God's calling you to do. Maybe your first step today might be something as simple as saying, you know what? I need to make Jesus Christ Lord and Savior of my life. I am a sinner I'm done trying to live my life on my own, and I want him to save me. I want him to forgive me, and I want this Holy Spirit, faith, power, source that he's talking about this morning. I want that in my life because I've tried it on my own. I've been at the bottom. I'm at the bottom, and I need help. My friend, if you want to know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and Lord, your first step needs to be toward him. Or maybe you're a Christian here today and your next step may be giving Jesus that one action that you're afraid to take. And I don't know what that is. The Holy Spirit will convict you of whatever that is. Or maybe you're in here and this sermon didn't even hit you. Maybe your faith is fully intact. Well, then please share with me and others how you do it and encourage one another. That's what the church is about. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this invitation. Lord, I pray that if there's someone that needs to know you as their Savior and Lord, that they can't increase their faith because they don't have it. Lord, I pray that they would come forward. I will pray with them. Uh, We will go through the sinner's prayer, and we will usher them into your kingdom this very morning. If there's someone that's a church member that just needs prayer, uh, I'll be up front. The altars will be open. They can come pray by themselves. Or if someone wants to join this church, Lord, May that be a step that they take because they need it and we need it. So, Lord, this invitation time is for you. It's your name I pray. Would you please stand?